0: Howdy y'all, doing well, breathing, here we be, (laughs) awesome, so Father we just thank you for your word, we pray that it would accomplish what you set it out to do, that you would be speaking to each heart individually, personally, to teach us of you, more about you, that we might just give you our burdens and be free. That you'd grant liberty, freedom to worship you well. In Jesus' name, amen. First Corinthians, Chapter Eight On a Journey. venturing through, I've come to the conclusion that some of the chapters were combined where I didn't think they were. A lot of the beginning was on unity. Um, More so, even though it could break it up and teach doctrine through it, Paul had a general sense of why he wanted to write the letter. He wrote it to them about things that he heard about them. We read chapter 7 began a portion of scripture concerning the things in which he wrote to me. So chapter 7, and still 8, 9, 10, and going forward, um, I know you guys are probably hoping I would just skip through this really quick and get to 11, because I'm sure you can't wait to hear about head coverings, because I know that's why we all think about when we think of 1 Corinthians. (laughs) I might just be sick that week, I don't know, we'll see. (laughs) It's his word and it's good. So anyways, chapter 8, now we're here we are, and uh, I was at a not even sure how tonight's going to go. So I wasn't sure. Chapter 8, I'll probably just teach through it. Um, Looking at other people, they do 7 and 8, others do 8 and 9, then 9 and 10. Even Pastor Chuck, when he did his through the Bible series from years ago, where he covered, sometimes in the Old Testament, he do five chapters at a time, just trying to get through the Bible. Um, He didn't even do 8, 9, and 10. And I was tempted to do 8, 9, and 10. But I think... uh, as Tom's not here, um, I'm teaching two weeks in a row. So I think I'm going to do eight tonight, I think. We'll see how it goes. And then nine and ten next week. Um, But the reason I say that is because I'm convinced, even though there's a lot of doctrine in nine, and then there's a lot of doctrine in ten, and you can get a lot of principles through it, I believe eight, nine, and ten are all related. And uh, I'll explain that. If you're unaware why I think that shortly here but just to begin with we'll just read all of chapter eight and come back there'll be a lot of reading and not that I can't talk a lot I don't have to tell anybody that they know I can talk a lot and I'm very opinionated um but there is something to be said about just reading the scriptures so this is Paul's answer so I don't know why we need to add to it. It's not like it's a, a thing that Jesus said, and it's deep, and you've got to sit there and figure it out. They asked a question, and he gave an answer. So sometimes I think we don't do it justice. There's a lot of things we can get out of it more than just his answer, but I do want to make sure that the answer is clear. But we'll just start by reading chapter 8. Now concerning, so now concerning, so he's changing topics. He He's marriage and divorce and all of that in the previous chapter. He's switching a, a topic or a t- switching to a different question that they had asked. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, love edifies. This is a very well-known verse, so hopefully we'll look at it in context and kind of divulge that Two, And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. However, there is not in every one that knowledge, for some, with consciousness of the idol until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, If food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. And then it sounds like in chapter 9, am I not an apostle, like he's changing a topic. And if you read chapter by chapter, I know most of us, we can't just sit down, read the whole Bible. A lot of times we want to, we can eventually, but not in one sitting. A lot of times it's easy to break it up by chapters. People put chapter breaks there for a reason, obviously in chapter his letter. He just intended them to read the whole thing. So sometimes we can get into a mindset, a different chapter means a different beginning. And sometimes you sit down and you read the next day and it changes topic. But chapter nine seems to be Paul's good example of self-denial. I guess the topic, if I had to call this study of anything, it would be the law of love versus liberty. Love and liberty. I have liberty to do things, but I also have liberty to God has given me freedom from that. So what would love dictate? And that's what he clearly says. There's this an issue of food. So we know that there, are, there was false idol worship going on. We know a lot of it was sensual. We know because of what we've already read, it's already impacted the Christian church there because the society is so indulged in it. And we'll kind of talk about that more later because um, it's pertinent to us today, where you live, in your home, on your TV, in your textbooks of your kids, and we're there. So now the question comes is, what liberty do we have and what choices do we make? And Paul, in chapter 9, basically talks about, it's, in a nutshell, it's verses 1 to 3, right? 8, 1 to 3, now concerning things offered to idols... How, do we, how should that impact and affect our lives? And he goes on to say, um, what does love say? And he uses himself as an example. So chapter 9 isn't separate. It's all a picture of him. What he's telling them to do, he's done in m- many aspects in his life for the very same reason. And he uses himself as an example. And uh, it tells us in verse 12, chapter 9, If others are partakers of this right over you, or not are we not even more nevertheless we have not used these right this right but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ i have the liberty to do certain things but i don't do them for your sake so he uses himself as an example chapter 10 then goes on to talk about idolatry and he uses israel as a bad example of the things that they did wrong and it tells us in verse 7 of chapter 10 And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So thinking that these could just be, he didn't just take a hyenas on his answering questions to the Corinthians and decide to talk bad about the Israelites in the past just to make them feel bad. It tells us the last three verses of 10. Chapter 10, uh, verse 31. Therefore whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. And 11, one says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So we see that he uses them as a bad example, himself as a good example, and it all comes down to one question they had, And he's basically saying, you have this knowledge, you understand things, but the purpose is, what's the goal in Christianity? It's Why do we have liberty, and what do we do with it? And he takes three chapters, I believe, to explain it. Uh, I believe to the church in Rome, he did it in one chapter, and he kind of has the same topic, and he talks about the same things, but it's kind of relevant. So, again, safety and just reading. Romans 14, if you want to turn there. Romans 14, verse 1 says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. There's things that we can know. There's things that we don't know. And, and we'll get into that back when we get back into Corinthians. But it's surprising to me who he calls weak and who he calls strong. And it seems like the people that you would think try to be more holy and walking according to a stricter place, he's actually called weaker because he's not understanding grace. Uh, so Romans fourteen two, For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. And I'm not going to say that's my life verse, but I like meat. <laughs> I don't dislike vegetables. I will say that right now. But uh, I heard a prophet this morning talking. I don't know if you've heard him or not. Um, actually right from this pulpit Um, he didn't really talk about it that much but he talked about a parable I don't know if you remember it it? most of you were here this morning anyways the the parable of the wedding feast of the lamb what do you have for dinner? an ox and a fatted calf he doesn't mention any vegetables but that's a side point anyways God's a meat eater too I am all on board I better start over. I just kind of... 14.1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. So he's saying don't argue over things that are doubtful. And then he goes on talking about what they eat, which is kind of why I came here, because that's what they're disputing over in Corinth. For one believes he may eat all things, but one who is weak eats only vegetables. The weaker brother seems to have what he calls a weak conscience is the one that seems to get guilty inappropriately quickly. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Verse four, who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. We don't have to sit there and try to fix everybody. It's God's job. Indeed, he will be able, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, and another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. Verse 8, for if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For, this, for to this end, Christ died. You want to know why Jesus died? He died for that. And rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. So what's the problem? Verse 10, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another any more, but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way, which is the gist of all of First Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. And that's the problem with the weak conscience of the weak brother who says, I'm not supposed to eat meat. And we're going to get into that when we get to 1 Corinthians 8. If somebody thinks something's sin and it's not, if somebody says, I can't eat that because it's not right, I can't eat pork, God forbid it, in the Old Testament. Okay, you could sit there and try to argue with them. You can explain it, and if they don't receive it, then let it go. Don't try to talk them into it. If you can talk him into eating it, and he's not convinced it's okay with God, then all you're doing is inside he's committing sin, because he is willfully doing something he thinks God doesn't think is okay. We should never talk somebody into disobeying God. Even though he has liberty to eat it, if his heart isn't right and he's weak, and he thinks, I shouldn't do it, then he shouldn't do it. doesn't mean that you can't. It just means don't do anything to stumble him. Verse 14, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Paul had liberty. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, so it's that word considering, it's that word thinking, it's that knowledge that they had that we're going to be talking about as soon as we get back there. 15, yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one whom Christ died for. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God, which we had the parable of this morning, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. There's a verse worth memorizing. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And it seems to me there's a lot of that lacking in my life in the church today right now. As we strive for righteousness and we see it not in the world, it doesn't mean it can't be in me. It doesn't mean it can't be in us. It doesn't mean it can't be in this place. But we seem to have lost our peace and our joy. If all you are doing is being dictated by the governings of the, kings of, the, of the kingdom of this world and of Satan and of people around, you're going to be distraught. Where if you just worry about yourself and walking with God and having acceptance of him, then you can have righteousness and peace and joy. And then it really doesn't matter what happens to us. We, mean, we read books about the days of old where people were getting killed and having spears stuck in them and the blood's putting out the fire that's burning them and they're singing. Paul in jail singing. It, it, it almost doesn't seem, it goes in just like Jesus telling people that he was going to die and rise from the dead and they didn't understand it, so it meant like nothing to them. No, 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 I don't even know what you're talking about. It's foreign to me. I can't get it. And today we can have joy and peace. We should have joy and peace. But it's only in the Holy Spirit. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Do what you want. Pray for revival verse 18, for he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify one another. And we're going to find that's the goal and specified in Corinthians 2. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. We see this. Paul wrote both a doctrine he's well familiar with, something that the church needs to hear in both Rome and in Corinth and here today to us. What is the difference between love and liberty? What is the difference between having a weak conscience and a strong conscience? What is the difference? What is my understanding of it? So back in Corinthians 8, the first three verses... There's two different words here, emphasized and spoken of multiple times, Edo and gnosis, and they both refer to knowledge. And I guess the simplest way that I think makes sense to me is one is a human understanding and one is a spiritual understanding. One is that something that's taught and the other one is known by experience, impressed upon by the Lord. And just what do they know? And we already, if we remember, it's been a while, earlier in Corinth, He said that you're puffed up, that you're prideful, and that's the thing that's caused division. What you think that you know about God is the thing that you're sticking to and is drawing and making separations. So they were prideful about their knowledge, and here he kind of insults them, as Paul's not (laughs) looking to avoid to do, but maybe not on purpose. But it says in verse 1, now concerning the things offered to idols, so that's the question you asked. We know, Edo, that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up love edifies. And that's kind of what we just read about in Romans 14. So one makes me bigger and the other one makes you bigger. Am I trying to make myself look good or am I just trying to cause you to do better before God? If If it's only about what I know, I can tell you what I know and be proud of what I know and try to convince you that what I know is right. And there's a lot of people, even in the church, that all they want to do is let people know how much they know. And, and really, who cares how much I know? If, if, if God's given me anything to say, that's the only thing that's true. And he tells me that if, you, if I gave it to you, why you, what do you have to do with it? What are you prideful about? Why are you boasting in something that isn't even yours? It was given to you. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So concerning the things we know, we have knowledge, Knowledge puffs up too. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, as yet he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. So he uses no knowledge, knowledge, no, no. Think about this. Think about this. If anyone thinks that he knows anything, so we think thoughts, we think about what we know, and he's basically slamming, I'm saying, it's not really about what we know, it's about does God know you? So as Pastor Richard says, it's not, it's, it's, it's whose we are. We know that we're his, and that's what we're thankful for. We're his. And he comes and he edifies and instructs and builds us up. What do we know? So how, how do we know? How do you know God, right? And why is it important to know him? Because we want to know what he's like. He's the one that gave us words to eternal life. Are we just trying to get by? Am I trying to only seek God about the next plan? How do I get enough money for what I want to do? Who's, what, who am I serving? And he goes on later to talk about that there's a God and a Lord. We have a Lord. We have a master. Well, if, if you actually believe that you have a master, you're going to seek him for instruction. Rather than just walking around telling you how much I know, you're actually going to be humbled and say, okay, now what? And I like... Verse 2, it says, if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought. Yeah, well, I know the Bible. I teach the Bible. I understand Scripture well. And Pastor Chuck, teaching on this, basically said, the thing that you know the most about, you realize you don't know anything about it. If you think you know a lot about something, that just means you don't know it. He's like, think about it. If you ask a brain surgeon, what do you know about brain surgery? Well, I, can, I think I can spell brain surgery, I think. <laughs> But a, a brain surgeon knows everything that there is, a, is about it. Once you get into something, you realize how much there is. Once you, you can be around here, come to Bible studies, read the Bible, and have a lot of opinions about it and think you got it down pat. But then study it, dig into it, look into specifics, talk to people about it, and you realize, well, I really don't know that much. This is a really deep book. There is a lot here. God is huge. He, he touches on a lot of things. I don't know, you might, electric, I know a lot about electric because I spent a lot of time doing it. And, you know, I, you, you might have, maybe you changed the plug and you understand it comes from the outside and you hit a switch, the light comes on. But what do you know about a sine wave? I mean, you, as soon as you, all of a sudden you start looking into it, you're like, why does this happen? How does this happen? Now I have a lot of questions. Once you start really digging into something, you realize, wow, there's a lot there. There's more than I thought that was there. If you think you know anything, Then you don't know as you ought to know. In other words, don't boast. It's humbling to learn. It's humbling to read the Bible and get before it, and then all of a sudden sit there and and he's really specific. He he gets to the point where he's saying cross t's and dotted i's. They are important. Tenses matter. Everything matters. And all you have to do is sit there and talk to somebody and all of a sudden they start asking questions. You know, you, you make a statement and you're proud because you have something to say and they start digging in and getting real specific and pretty soon you're either humbled or you like, what do you know And you walk away? Because you get mad because you don't know how to answer it because we really don't know everything. So how do you get to know them? And uh, just in my own reading, I'm going through Chronicles right now. I'm in Second Chronicles 19. Uh, the king of Judah went to help out the king of Israel in Jehoshaphat, and uh, he ended up doing, he was one of the better kings, but next thing you know, he's in there doing something he's not supposed to do, and he messes up. And uh, God sends a prophet to him. And uh, I'll just read the three verses, 2 Chronicles 19. Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned safely after this whole thing to his house in Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hananiah, the seer, seer, he sees things, God gives him things, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, should you help the wicked and love those that hate the Lord? Therefore the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Verse 3, nevertheless, good things are found in you. What good things were found in Jehoshaphat? In that you have removed the wooden images from the land and have prepared your heart to seek God. That's something worth meditating on. You can read it. He prepared his heart to seek God. So what does that mean? Okay, if Jesus is going to come into me and fill me, I have to make my vessel clean so that he can come in. It doesn't even say he prepared his heart for God. It says he prepared his heart to seek God. God's got to fix me. God's got to make me right. If I, I just need to seek him, right? In Proverbs 16:1 comes to mind, right? Uh, the preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So you don't have the answer, you don't speak, you receive. If you have a Lord, he's over you. What you need to do is get yourself ready that when you talk, I'll listen. So if he says something, why do you boast in it? Right now, we're just humble servants. As the other parable that we just gone through recently. You know, if if you uh, make a dinner, if you're a servant, you go out and you come back. Jesus said... Do you expect the master to sit there and cook your food and all that? No, I'm just this humble servant. I'm just doing what's expected of me. If, you're, if, you're, if you have a Lord, then just receive from him. But your heart has to be right. So that's a big thing. And the, one of the things that also caught my attention on this is uh, he prepared his heart to seek God. But one of the things that it mentions before that, two things. One is he prepared his heart to, to seek God. And the other thing is he removed the wooden images that kind of reminds me of the Corinthian church. Idol worship. What's well, a wooden image? Well, in the Hebrew, Hebrew, it's an Asheroth. What's well, an Asheroth? There were wooden poles. We read about them in the Old Testament frequently. Um, the Brooklyn Museum, I, I, took, I printed something offline, their definition. It's a mythic worshipped by Semitic peoples of Phoenicia, which is modern-day Syrian Lebanon. Um, it's called... Ashtaroth, Asherah, Astart, and Ishtar. They're all manifestations of the same name, the same goddess who was worshipped in different regions where people uh, were divided by language and geography. The Hebrew name is Ashtaroth. It was the supreme female deity of the Phoenicians associated with Baal, the supreme god, and she seems to have particularly concerned with love and fertility. So this idol worship of sex that was going on. In fact, there was an Asherah put right in the temple, brought right in by the previous king. So in the temple where they're supposed to worship God, here's this pole to a goddess. And the chef Herzig Encyclopedia of Religious Knowledge that I've never heard of before, but I found it online, <laughs> um, they talk about Asherah and there's six points. And one of them Uh, talks about the sensual development. So it says, from the terrestrial side of the primary motive of the worship of Ishtar was the impulse to deify sensuousness and sensuality. Of the resulting worship, Ishtar, or Venus, became the celestial patron. She not only legitimated the sexual indulgence which marked her cult in Babylon, Phoenicia, Palestine, and the Semitic world generally, but she was naturally taken as the authoress of sexual passion and therewith of all derivative and associated sentiments. The accounts for the part played by Ashtaroth or Astart as the female counterpart of Baal for of the local Canaanite Baals, and also for widespread and influential myth of her relations with her lover, Tammuz and Adonis. And we the writings that she wrote. The woman and the priestess in there were sexual in nature and is a derivative of the word pornography. So the original first pornography were the writings of the people to this goddess. And there seems to be a flow uh, in, in cultures. I know Dave and a couple of us have found this study recently, a book that somebody wrote, and he's been going through a tour, that it's not uncommon of the people of Israel and in many societies, and I believe this society, that once you leave the one and true and living God and the Lord Jesus Christ, that you end up falling to the same pattern. There's a spiritual war going on, and there's a spiritual tone behind idolatry which we're going to get to. It mentions it in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, verse 20. It says, Rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. So these false idols are actually demonic powers in the background doing things. And every civilization that seems to be turning from the one and true living God originally falls to Baal. Baal was a very powerful god, um, God of power. It's a natural instinct for men to do that, but there's a spiritual force behind it. He knows what works. He studies us. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life. He doesn't have to switch because he knows how we're made, and he does the same thing, and it has a good result. And after Baal is Ishtar, and Ishtar is the God of sex. And once, once he gets you to worship a false demonic power, then it seems this other force comes in and it's sexual and sensual by nature. And we know that once we kick God out of schools, it's really, as Pastor Jeff always used to say, um, God's not going to punish us for doing that. Him leaving was the punishment. Him leaving the schools was the punishment. He goes, you've already left me. You've already done bad. You're already worshiping a God of power. And what comes next? The sexual revolution, the 60s, the 70s. What comes after that? Ishtar. What comes after that? Moloch. And if you were to look into the ancient rituals of how they worship Moloch, there was actually a woman goddess who had male priests that would dress up as women, that they would dance in their temples, and people would bring their kids to watch them dance. Like, now we just do it in libraries. Exact same worship. And this guy in the book was saying, I don't know why we're surprised this is happening, because we should have seen it coming. This is how almost every civilization falls. We must be sleeping, you know, what do they say about war and everything? It's because people don't look back. History repeats itself. Satan knows us. We're like men of like passion. If we're not serving and worshiping and following the true and living God, we're going to be given over to our passions. Isn't it funny that there's no God of the fork in the eye? Yeah, we worship God by sticking a fork in our eye. That's how we do it. We don't want to, but he told us to. People only worship the gods they want. Just like in reincarnation, I remember, I think it was Ken Graves saying, how come nobody ever came back and said that they were the the janitor at the Barfattorium in Rome? I mean, everyone came back, they were either a king or something else. You You only do what you want. People are sensual. So, we, we follow our senses. We think, because this is what I want, it must be okay. And therefore, if God says it's not okay, I'm going to find it. And again, that conscience that they were talking about in Corinthians, um, the weak conscience, well, we can sear our conscience, right? We all understand that. The Bible says that um, you, you, you feel guilt. Why do we feel guilt? We have passions and desires given to us by God to bring him glory. As soon as we decide not to do that because we don't want to, it's not that we can't believe it. It's not that we maybe even don't believe it. I just don't want to believe it. Well, then pretty soon I'll believe a lie. If you don't believe the truth, you will believe a lie. You have to believe something. I've mentioned that before, too. Some people I talk to, oh, I'm a guy of science. I don't, I don't believe by faith. Everybody believes by faith. There's things we can't know. And then it's easy to prove because you can ask them, so do you believe that it's, you don't have to live by faith? And then if they say, they'll have to say yes. Well, can you prove it? Well, no, I can't prove it. Okay, so you believe that by faith. You don't have a choice. If you think you don't need faith, you can only believe that by faith. Maybe you do need to believe something. Maybe you do need to live by faith. It's clear we all do. Where did we come from? Why do I have a conscience? Why do I feel guilty? Guilty means I've done something wrong. I know inside internally that I've broken it, right? God says that creation proves a creator. Conscience proves you've sinned against that creator. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can lead you to Jesus for forgiveness. It's the plan. It's always been the plan. The question is, is what are we going to do with it and what are we going to believe? Back in 1 Corinthians... It says in verse 4, Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other god but one. So there are people saying this is one of the things that we know. So there's these temples in Corinth that are there. Ishtar, there are many gods that they worshipped there. So people offer sacrifices to it. So one of the ways, how do you worship in these temples? Sometimes you go and you have sex with the priestesses. Sometimes they bring in burnt offerings. How do, how do you live as a pagan priest? Well, you live off of what people bring. So they bring you food, you eat it. They didn't have Costco, Wegmans, Palmers. I'll give Palmers a plug. We like Palmers now. <laughs> they flew Tom. Anyways, <laughs> they didn't have a meat market, per se, to go to. They did have some, but they were very expensive. In fact, you can find some books where, through archaeology, they actually found the location of a couple different versions of where they think the meat market was, where the temples were, and how the city was laid out. And a lot of these, there were temples that sold the meat, and then there were meat markets right outside the temple that also sold the meat. So you would go in, you would bring an offering, if you were an idolater, and give a cow to a priest who would offer, just like in the temple, they, they just fake and they steal everything. This is God's way of worship. God's way of worship is the cow was supposed to represent something. They didn't, I don't believe that in the Old Testament they got saved. Their sins were covered because they brought an animal to be offered at the temple or the tabernacle that was supposed to represent something. If they did that by faith... Faith in what they thought it did is what saved them. We get saved by what the Messiah, they were looking forward to the cross, God himself dying for their sin. Now we look back at it. But these false temples, now it's not about looking at, and it's totally opposite, right? They would bring it looking forward to what God was gonna do for them. Well, the false temples are looking to do something for their God. So they actually have to give to their God. They owe him. We owe him everything too, but he just says, come receive it freely have liberty in me. So they would bring an animal that would get sacrificed and some of it they would burn on an altar. Now, God didn't come down, I don't believe. Satan does have powers. He can do certain things. Read Job. He, <laughs> even natural events he can interfere with if God gives him permission to. But some of it would be offered to their God. Some of it, the patron that brought it would eat it and the rest of it goes to the priest. So if the priest is there and it's a popular temple, he would have way more meat than he needs. So what did they do? They would sell it at a market to make money. So now instead of saying, you know, I'm making my living on meat, not that you can't just live on meat, it's hard to maybe pay your rent with meat, but (laughs) you could sell it and then do that. I'd have a hard time giving away meat. But anyways, they would sell it and with that, people were, it would be cheaper. So it would be cheaper to buy meat at this temple meat market than it would be to go to the regular meat market where it costs a lot of money. So the Corinthian Christians would be thinking, well, I'm frugal. I I know that who cares what it was done to it. There is no other God. There's only one God. So eating this meat isn't going to bring that God into me. It's just cheap meat. I'm I'm free. I can do it. And other people are like, no, that's actually idolatry. You can't do that. That was offered to a God. What if that God gets mad at you? Or what if our God gets mad at you? And some people were like, well, we know that there are no other gods. What are you talking about? And a weaker brother was like, yeah, but it just seems wrong. And, you know, you, and, you, and what happens today? You, you can't go there. It seems like the more legalistic somebody is, the, the less you would think their conscience would be stronger. But the Bible is saying it's actually not that way. Of course, I guess, where do you go? This is what, what do we have liberty to do? So same-sex marriage, that's not somebody that's strong in conscience. That's actually, you know, you're just opposing straight out what the Bible says. But is it wrong to watch sports? Is it wrong to drink coffee? Caffeine's a drug. Well, you can't take drugs. Some people, where are you going to go? So now it comes down to how do you, how do you deal with one another? Paul, Paul's like, you know what, just first thing is, You need to know what you believe God's telling you to do. And then you need to not stumble anyone else. Forget about you walking around saying, well, I started it and what conclusion I've come to. And then tell somebody everything that you know because they're more concerned about if you care. And you should be more concerned about them than just telling them what you know. And there's some things that some people have liberty to do and others don't. Like I said multiple times up here, I think God told me not to play basketball. It's not my job not to tell anyone to do that. I believe God told me certain holidays I'm not to follow along with the traditions. That's something I think He's told me to do. I don't tell anyone else not to do that. That's between them and God. We read about that in Romans. One day greater than another. Well, it's holidays that maybe is festivals. That might be your birthday. Jehovah's Witnesses won't even celebrate a birthday. They say no, it's all about you. You're thinking. You know, I have, I'm I'm okay if you want to buy me a birthday present. So <laughs> you won't stumble me. <laughs> There, is, there are no other so-called gods, right? Verse 5, for there, even if there are so-called gods, which he tells us in Romans that there actually are so-called gods, but they're not gods, they're actually demons. There's a demonic power, a fallen angel, a minister of Satan behind idolatry. Whether in heaven or on earth, As there are many gods and many lords. And that's one of the things that we find a problem is that people, once they start worshiping a false god, they now have a lord. And then you wonder why people do things. Spent a lot of years in prison ministry. A lot of people are in prison because they had bad lords. Almost, I had a chaplain. They told me a hundred percent of people that are in here are because of addiction. They're either addicted to alcohol and got in a vehicle accident and hurt somebody. They're addicted to drugs and, had, and they were selling them, or they're addicted to drugs and they stole to support their habit. They have bad lords. They have lords. They lead you to a place that you weren't thinking that you were going. If sex is your God, you're going to be sitting there doing some strange things, and you're going to sit there as a sane human being looking at them thinking, why would you even do or think that? It's because they have a horrible Lord. And what they don't need to do is be confirmed in that. What they do need to do is to find the right Lord. There's a better God. You can serve a better Lord. You can actually give you, serve somebody that's going to bring you life, not death. It's a Lordship issue. The problem with marriage that we just went through, right? It's not an understanding of marriage, that's the problem. If you're in a marriage and you're having trouble, it's not because you don't understand marriage. It's because you have a lordship problem. If you're just doing what the Lord said, you won't have a problem. You might not be comfortable. (laughs) It might not be what you want it to be, but you can be right with God and have it work. Verse 6, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things... Again, can we eat meat? He's the God of meat. He's all things. And we're for him. Your life is about him. And you have one Lord, Jesus Christ. So if Jesus is your Lord, your master, and you do what he says, you will not have a problem with God the Father because Jesus will lead you to the Father. One God, Trinity, and through whom we live, Seven. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. So I've said that multiple times. You know what the problem? The problem with our government isn't that it's not the best government, or it's not even that it's not Republican or Democrat or we should be communist. The problem is is there's people involved. The problem with marriage is there's people involved. The problem with having a good employer is there's people involved. God's coming back. However, not there is not in everyone that knowledge. People in the church, some people are at different levels at different spots, at different places, and our problem isn't to make them better so that we can have the perfect church. Our problem our desire should just be to get everybody closer to Jesus. If somebody comes in there and they're not saved, they need Jesus. If somebody comes in here and you're not sure if they're saved, well, it doesn't matter. They need Jesus. And if they are saved, they need more of Jesus. They just need him. He's the answer. They need to have Jesus as their Lord. So we need to, we are not called to, we can't make anybody accept Jesus as their Lord. All we do is preach Christ and him crucified and let Jesus do the work. We lead them to the water. You can't make anybody drink. Nor are you expected to make anybody drink. And sometimes we end up holding their head under the water when they don't want to drink and we wonder why aren't they acting more like Jesus because you just drowned them <laughs> you, you can't we can't change people, you can't change yourself you didn't change yourself, I didn't change myself we shouldn't be expected to change anybody God doesn't expect us to change anybody in fact, that's the amazing thing, right, is here's ministry ministry is going on, it's not the amazing thing that there is ministry, it's the amazing thing that he uses us for ministry, God could have just said everyone come here and everyone don't talk just listen to me And and he could have a direct relationship with everyone. you think that there'd be less of us in the way. But there's something about loving one another that he has a plan for us to grow and to know him. Seven, however, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol, until now... Eat it as a thing offered to an idol. So there they are. They have a piece of meat in front of them. They knew it came out of that temple. And as they're eating it, they're not just thanking God because there's a piece of meat there. Inside, they feel guilty because they're thinking this thing somehow has a a curse on it. (laughs) It's it's voodoo. It's, It's now somehow attached to that fake God. And sometimes people do that with movies. Sometimes people do that with other people. Right? Paul says, don't eat with somebody in the church that's sexually immoral because they need to know that they need to get right with God. But then they say, you know what? I am not going out to eat in a public restaurant. There could be somebody in there that's actually living in sin. He's like, no, I'm not telling you to not eat with anybody. Otherwise, you'd have to, I'd have to kill you right now and take you home. If you're not supposed to be around sinners, then you gotta, we all got to die right now. He's, he's just saying, this is how we're supposed to act. Being weak... Is defiled. Their conscience, being weak, is defiled. So a weak conscience walks around thinking everything is defiled because of mysticism, um, and it's about what I do. If you're made right with God, it's not because you ate meat or didn't eat meat. God's not going to sit there and say, "I can't believe He cooked that to 142 degrees. You should be cooking that at 125. Medium rare is the best." But it's not, it's not about how, which, that is true, by the way, but it's, you know, God's not sitting there judging us for that thing. He's like, you know what, just be free. Enjoy it. You know, David got in trouble for seeking something that God didn't give him, and God is like, after rebuking him, was like, you know, if you, want, if you need it, I gave you this, I gave you this, I gave you that, and if you need tomorrow, more, I would give it to you. I'm not here to make you walk on your knees through glass. I want to bless you. But the truth is, the blessing comes from just obeying me, because if you obey me, I'm going to give you what's best. Just trust me. He's not this, he's not like their gods. He he does for us. He doesn't cause us to earn it. Verse 8, but food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware, and this is important. He's telling you to beware. We should pay attention. Lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, so he's saying you have liberty to do that, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols. Now he's saying there's nothing wrong with eating something offered to an idol, but you shouldn't be living in such a way that if somebody who is young and weak in the faith sees you doing something and they do the same thing, that they're going to all of a sudden stray. There's a lot of people that, you, that we see, that I see, that I've known. You invite someone to church, you work with them, you get to know them, you try to get them to come, and they come and they're here for a while. Next thing you know, they're not around anymore. What happened? Well, some people just stray. Some people, they hang around people that have liberty and they don't get it. And sometimes I think we're just not conscious of what we're doing. We just walk around in what we think is liberty and I'm free being me. And I'm, now I'm concerned about being me and not what about being me does to you. you know, God's got to show you. You can act one way around one person, and it's not okay if you do the, the very same thing around someone else. It's not that it's wrong to do it. It's just wrong to do it around them. And usually you'll find out. Hopefully they're mature enough in the Lord. They're obviously not mature in the Lord if they're stumbling here, but they're mature enough to sit there and tell you to your face, I don't know why you do that. What's wrong with you? And the first words could be on my lips to say, there's nothing wrong with that. Why are you, you're the one that doesn't know anything. And then God hopefully will get a hold of you and convict you. And you don't even need to answer him just say you're sorry. Because even though it might be okay for you to do that, you shouldn't have done it in front of him. Are we mature enough to take it? And if you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because that happens every day. <laughs> Something will happen. And you're like, I shouldn't have done that. Even though it shouldn't have caused a problem. If it did cause a problem, I don't know how many times, I mean, Pastor Billy used to say it all the time. If you're going to complain about your wife, don't even talk to me. It's your fault. (laughs) Yes, sir. (laughs) Don't stumble, people. 11. And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? It doesn't mean they're going to lose their salvation. It just means they're going to go to a place where they're not fruitful anymore and rot. What's more important, my freedom or your growth? And that's hard. It's a hard thing to do. It's basically, take up your cross, denying yourself, and following Jesus. Dying is not easy. Especially when you're right and you know it. Hard stuff. Good stuff. Ask for help. Jesus did it. And he's not saying that you can do it. He's just saying he'll do it through you. Verse 12. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Well, that hurts. Therefore... If food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. This law of liberty versus love. So there's one thing is, God give me a love for people more than I love myself. That's the answer. Cause me to love God and love others more than I love myself. And then show me what that looks like. Because sometimes we might just be walking around living life and not even aware of what's going on in people around us. So ask us. Ask the Lord, show me. Your spirit, if, if, if it's sin, which this declares it is, it's not sin to do it, it's sin to do it in front of that person. Well, the Holy Spirit came to convict the world of sin. So Lord, fill me so much with your Spirit that as I'm walking, I sense your presence. I understand that the Holy Spirit is here. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I want that to be my life. If that's my life, if that's the Holy Spirit, if I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit, I'm walking with him, when I grieve him, he'll be saddened. And I want to be so connected and aware of what's going on in my life through the Holy Spirit that if I sin around somebody that's causing them, the Holy Spirit convicts me and I realize something just happened and repent, and encourage them, and just doing that. And if somebody gets mad, multiple times, even in this building, somebody will come up and get angry with me, and I'm thinking, I don't even think what I did was wrong, and I'm just sitting there looking, and the Spirit's grieved, and I'm like, I can't answer. I can't answer myself right now. I mentioned that before. One time I was in a place playing basketball where the Lord told me not to, and the Lord reminded me and had a kid throw a basketball and hit me right in the face a young kid, like not young, like a little child, but young enough I wasn't scared. Although maybe I should have been. And before I could even get angry, the Lord just said, I told you not to come here. What are you going to do? He did something wrong. I'm not supposed to be there. Am I going to walk with God or am I going to sit there and tell him he did something wrong? I know I'm guilty. I'm doing something God told me not to do. Just walked up, held my hand out, said nice game. He didn't take it. Just walked out of the gym. so today's message made me feel a little better. I said I wasn't going to do it, but then I did it, because he told me not to go. Then I went, but then I went home. So (laughs) at least I did do his will. Um, But what this doesn't condone is eating meat offered to an idol is not condoned. And just to end real quick, like I said, there's certain things that the Lord has showed me not to do that I don't have liberty for, and uh, it's tied to idolatry. And I don't tell other people, but it's one thing to eat meat that was offered at an idol It's another thing to go to the idol's temple and offer meat yourself. Don't be idolaters, which we'll get to when we get to chapter 10. Um, but just 2 Kings 17, I'll just read it to you. It's two verses. A time in Israel when they weren't doing well. And it says, they feared the Lord yet serve their own gods, according to the rituals of the nations from among whom they were carried away. To this day, they continue practicing the former rituals. They do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow their statues or their ordinances or the law and the commandments which the Lord had commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. So they didn't only claim to be Christians or jews but they served and followed the false gods according to their rituals and i'm just thinking the difference between buying meat from ishtar and eating it clearly or worshiping ishtar just because you're free you're never free for it to to be an idolatry to read her writings pornography to go to her temple sexual deviation don't offer meat at the temple of idols but don't let it condemn you either if, if you're around it. You can sit down with a, a friend or a co that's not a Christian and be free to eat with them. Just don't stumble your brother. So, Father, we just thank you that your word is clear. The problem is with our understanding at times because of our hearts are, are evil and we desire to do the wrong thing. So we just thank you that you came to make a way to you that you can forgive us. Um, Thank you that we're free in you. Lord, we don't want our heart to condemn us. Lord, we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. So show us what we have liberty to do, and then show us where we have that liberty, and whom it might stumble. And help us just to be about your business, and your business is to lead people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit's business is to lead people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit, fill us afresh. Use us for your glory And Jesus, we just pray that you would come quickly and get us out of this evil and adulterous generation. And um, thank you for sharing with us that lot spirit being vexed daily, had a righteous soul. Lord, we know that we can be grieved in the era that we live, um, but we have a hope. We have a living hope. Thank you for being good. Thank you for making a way. Thank you for making us free. Thank you for doing it for us. Thank you that as we offer something, it represents you crucified. You're a good God and you're a good master. Help us to serve you better. In Jesus' name, amen.